Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. In Nelson County, Virginia, on August 3, 2013, a 17-year-old girl named Alexis Murphy was last seen at a Liberty gas station in the town of Livingston when she suddenly vanished. In the following days of her disappearance, she was reported missing. And the search for this young girl turned up something no one was expecting. I'm your host Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's examine the tragic murder of Alexis Murphy. Alexis Murphy was soon becoming a senior at Nelson County High School and a member of the school's volleyball team. She was even set to become the team's captain during her senior season in 2013. Alexis seemed to be thriving during this time in her life, with friends, teammates, and the hope of senior year and beyond. But all of that would change on a summer day in 2013. On August 3, 2013. Alexis told her family that she was heading out to Lynchburg to buy herself some hair extensions, and that she would be back soon. Alexis lived in Shipman, Virginia, about 37 miles from Lynchburg, Virginia, where she planned to purchase hair extensions that day. This meant that her drive would be about 40 minutes each way, if she didn't make any stops. So this trip should have been accomplished within two hours or so, even with the occasional stop, and Alexis would have been expected to be home by the end of the day. However, Somewhere along the journey, it is unclear from my research if it was on the way there or on the way back. Alexis did make a quick stop at a Liberty gas station in Lovingston, Virginia. That gas station would be the last known location of Alexis Murphy, and it would be the last time anyone would ever see her again. At the time of her disappearance, Alexis was driving a white 2003 Nissan Maxima. When Alexis never made it home, her family reported her missing to police soon after. In the following days, the Virginia police began the search for Alexis Murphy. During the days after her disappearance, Alexis's family and friends, as well as the Nelson County community, began to search for her. Flyers were distributed around town with her picture. The news of her disappearance was spread online and throughout the community. Her family making sure to reach as many people as they could. 
Three days after her disappearance, her white 2003 Nissan Maxima was found abandoned in a theater parking lot in Charlottesville, according to FBI officials. As soon as the car was located, it was taken in to be processed for evidence. According to NBC29 reporting, a man who lived in an apartment complex near the theater told police that he remembered seeing the car in the lot as early as 10 a.m. on Monday. That is just a few days after Alexis Murphy was last seen at the gas station in Lovingston. According to the Nelson County Sheriff at the time, named David Brooks, canine units collected a scent from the car that took them to Arden Place, an apartment complex in Charlottesville. He also made it clear that they were intending to look at the whole picture and not just focus on the apartment complex lead. So after this discovery, police also expanded the search radius around Lovingston to 30 miles. At this point, law enforcement was confident that Alexis Murphy did not run away, but that she was taken. Within a week of her vanishing, a vigil was held in the community and everyone gathered and prayed that Alexis would come home safely. Her family prayed that soon a lead would come that would help them get closer to finding Alexis alive. As local, state, and federal law enforcement continued to investigate the abduction of Alexis Murphy, they focused on looking for any surveillance footage that could lead them to Alexis or the person who took her. And what they soon find is eerie. They retrieve footage from that gas station in Lovingston. And in the video footage, Alexis can be seen walking through the entrance of the store. Someone, an older man, is also seen behind her, holding the door open as she walks through. When police questioned the employees at the gas station, they learned that the cashier witnessed Alexis and the older man talking to one another. The store clerk described the man she was conversing with to the police. Apparently, a distinguishing characteristic was that the man had a Daffy Duck neck tattoo. As police continue watching the surveillance footage at the gas station, they notice something else, something that makes police worry. They watch as Alexis's white Nissan Maxima pulls out of the parking lot behind the strange man's camouflage SUV. Both cars are seen heading away from Lynchburg and toward a rundown camper. Thanks to the surveillance footage and the witness statement of the man's distinctive tattoos, police were able to identify the stranger that Alexis was talking to that day as a 55-year-old man by the name of Randy Allen Taylor. And according to Investigation Discovery, the police's identification of the man was supported by a local porn shop owner who recognized the images that were being circulated by police as Randy Allen Taylor. After learning all of this information, police grow even more worried and suspicious of Randy Taylor when they discover something alarming. Remember when police watched the surveillance footage of Alexis following the man's SUV? Well, Alexis was following Randy Taylor toward the camper where he lived. And when police go to search the camper, what they find is chilling. FBI agents were able to search the camper of Randy Allen Taylor only four days after her disappearance. In the camper, police found a torn fingernail and a small stud earring. Finding this was incredibly helpful for police because they could test these items for DNA to see if they belonged to Alexis Murphy. And what comes back is incriminating for Randy Taylor, but is a breakthrough for police and Alexis's family. The DNA testing showed that the small stud earring found in Taylor's camper contained DNA that belonged to Alexis Murphy. With DNA evidence placing Alexis in Taylor's camper, Virginia police were able to file an arrest warrant for Randy Taylor. He was arrested on August 11, 2013, 
only eight days after Alexis went missing. Because Alexis's body was not yet found, Taylor was only initially charged with the abduction of Alexis Murphy. However, after Taylor's arrest, police were able to conduct a second search of that camper. A second FBI search team found even more incriminating evidence in this round of searches. What they found included a hair extension, a false eyelash, and the blue t-shirt that Alexis was wearing in the gas station surveillance footage. On this blue shirt, police noticed that there was a blood stain, and after testing it, it was discovered that the shirt contained the blood of Alexis Murphy. All of what was uncovered in the search, as well as the abandoned car, made police believe that Alexis Murphy was most likely murdered that day she went missing. This meant that Randy Allen Taylor could be charged with first-degree murder. From what police found in Taylor's camper, I think it's pretty clear that Alexis put up a fight. The news of Taylor's arrest and the DNA evidence found in his camper must have stirred so many mixed emotions in Alexis's family members. Although police were doing their jobs and finding the man responsible for Alexis's disappearance, although justice was being served, I'm sure it was devastating and heartbreaking to know that Alexis was most likely murdered, that what they were still looking for was most likely Alexis's remains. After this news, the community gathered at Alexis's family's home to show support to the family. Overall, the feelings of the community were shock and horror. Many couldn't believe that something like this could happen in their tight-knit town. Alexis's aunt Angela knew Alexis as that girly girl who was into fashion. Before her disappearance, Alexis was looking at colleges, taking senior pictures, and preparing for her final year in high school. She was a normal teenager preparing for her future. According to her aunt Angela, quote, she was just looking forward to everything, excited for everything, end quote. During the trial of Randy Taylor, much was revealed about the day of Alexis's disappearance, as well as the following days. First, testimony at the trial revealed that Taylor had been lying to police about ever seeing Alexis Murphy and being at that gas station the night she vanished. Apparently, he told police that he was buying marijuana that night in Charlottesville with a friend, so he couldn't have been involved in Alexis's disappearance and presumed murder. But after police learned that the DNA evidence in the camper belonged to Alexis and they confronted Taylor with this information, he quickly changed his story. According to Randy Taylor, what really happened that night was this. Alexis visited his home with a man named Damien Bradley, who came to his house to sell him marijuana. He claimed that Alexis left his house with this Damien guy, and she was alive and well when they left together. However, the police weren't buying it. There were too many holes in his story one of them being that Damien Bradley had an alibi. Second, cell phone records place Alexis Murphy at Taylor's camper, and her phone was even found near his camper, smashed in and discarded, days after she was reported missing. At trial, the prosecution argued that Taylor's story was completely unreasonable and untrue. Nelson County prosecutor argued, quote, the biggest problem in Taylor's story, and it is a story, is that she left alone and was fine, is it reasonable to leave without her hair extension, her nail, her blood, her phone? End quote. Other circumstantial evidence was presented at trial, like Alexis's vehicle, which was seen in surveillance footage pulling up to the theater parking lot, although the driver was not visible. It was also presented in court that 30 minutes later, 
after the car was seen entering the theater parking lot. Taylor was seen at an Applebee's, where he ordered two beers before leaving in a cab. My question is, what happened to Randy Taylor's camouflage SUV? Why did he need to take a cab home when he has a car? Is it because he had no other options after abandoning Alexis's car? Technically, it is possible that he took a cab because he had been drinking. However, I don't think two beers is enough to make a grown man intoxicated, especially if he drinks regularly. I don't drink, so I don't know how intoxicated someone can get from two beers. But a quick Google search revealed that a person who weighs 100 pounds, or 45 kilograms, can become intoxicated after two or three drinks, while a person twice as heavy will hardly feel the first signs of drunkenness after three drinks. And with the average American adult male between 40 to 59 years old weighing almost 200 pounds, it could be assumed that Randy Taylor wouldn't have been too intoxicated from just two beers to drive home yet. And I think this is what the prosecution was getting at. Why didn't Taylor just drive his own car home? Maybe it was because he didn't leave his home in his own car, but instead in Alexis's car. On the other side, Taylor's defense argued that he was innocent of killing young Alexis. It's unclear what evidence they presented to support this argument, but apparently, whatever argument they used didn't reach jurors because Randy Allen Taylor was convicted of first-degree murder and abduction with intent to defile. During the sentencing on July 23, 2014, Taylor's attorney told the judge that his client claimed a third person had committed the murder and that Taylor knew where the body was hidden. Randy Taylor himself told the judge, quote, I did not kill Alexis Murphy, end quote. Randy Taylor even offered to lead the police to Alexis's remains for an exchange of only 20 years in prison. The judge refused Taylor's offer and sentenced him to two consecutive life sentences. And this may be where you think the story ends, but you'd be wrong because Randy Taylor was not done with his stories just yet. Three months after Taylor was sent to prison, he requested that investigators test another man by the name of Jesse Matthew to see if his DNA matched an unidentified genetic profile that was found in Alexis's car. He suggested this because Jesse Matthew was at the time charged with the killing of a University of Virginia student named Hannah Graham. Hannah Graham was a sophomore at the university when she vanished. She was last seen alive with Jesse Matthew at a restaurant on September 13, 2014, after she texted some friends that she was on her way to a party in Charlottesville. If you remember, Alexis's car was found abandoned in Charlottesville. Hannah's remains were eventually found more than a month later on property in Albemarle County, Virginia. Nelson County, Virginia, where Alexis went missing, is about 32 miles from Albemarle County, Virginia. Although Taylor attempted to deflect responsibility for his actions, in January 2015, test results showed that Jesse Matthew was not linked to Alexis Murphy's abduction and murder. However, Jesse Matthew turned out to be connected to another abduction and murder of a college student named Morgan Dana Harrington, who vanished in 2009. Taylor continued and continued to try to appeal his conviction, and each time he was denied. What's interesting is that Alexis Murphy's disappearance isn't the only one that Randy Taylor is suspected of being involved in. Taylor was also a suspect in the 2010 disappearance of Samantha Clark, who was 19 years old and from Orange, Virginia. This young girl vanished September 13, 2010, three months after she graduated from Orange County High School. On the night she disappeared, she went out in the middle of the night, 
Her mother, who worked nights, assumed that her daughter was meeting up with friends that they had made the weekend before, when they both went to a restaurant and bar together. After leaving in the middle of the night, Samantha Clark was never seen again. Taylor claimed that police were harassing him in the search for Samantha Clark, and he accused them of planting a gun in his car so they could arrest him on a traffic stop. He told a media outlet he didn't own a gun because of prior conviction for accessory to burglary. If you wanna learn more about Samantha Clark's case, I'll leave a link in the show notes. On December 3rd, 2020, Alexis Murphy's remains were finally found. Her remains were located on a private property near Stagebridge Road along US 29 in Lovingston, Virginia. Stagebridge Road intersects with US 29, roughly three and a half miles from the Lovingston gas station where she went missing. The Nelson County Sheriff's Office received positive identification of the remains as Alexis's on February 5th, 2021. Police did not elaborate on what led them to the property where Alexis's remains were found. However, police had conducted periodic searches over the years, and some leads they received proved fruitful. In a statement released through the sheriff's office, Alexis Murphy's family said, quote, Our family is so grateful for the continuing love, support, and prayers for Alexis and our family over the past seven years. While we have been grieving the loss of Alexis since 2013, we remained hopeful that she would be found alive and well. Alexis was the fashionista, athlete, and joker of our family. We were blessed to have loved her for 17 years, and her memory will continue to live on through us all." End quote. If you want to interact with the podcast on social media, or share with me some of your own theories about the cases, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at the LCL Pod. Don't forget to share the podcast so we can get more attention for these very important cases. And don't forget to follow the Lost Crimes Library so you won't miss any new episodes. Thank you for supporting the show. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcaster og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt. Det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.